At the end of last semester, we were approved to provide support to a group of non-matriculated undergraduate um, students, um, a group of um, displaced Afghan women. And so we provided an English immersion program for these students over winter break. This is, you know, a group of students kind of close to my heart. Um, so I'm hoping that this opens the door so that we can start working with more non-matriculated students. You're listening to Speaking of Language, a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. Each week, we explore a topic related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This week on Speaking of Language. Dr. Michelle Crow returns to Speaking of Language to tell us what's new at Cornell's English Language Support Office. Welcome to a new episode of Speaking of Language. I'm Angelica Kramer, the director of the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. And I'm Sam Lupowitz, the LRC's media manager. We are excited to speak with Michelle Crow today. Dr. Crow is the director of Cornell's English Language Support Office. Welcome to Speaking of Language, Michelle. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. So we are happy that you are back on our podcast. We actually had you on in season three, which seems like a lifetime ago. And we thought we'd check back in with you to see what's been going on at ELSO. So Michelle, please remind our listeners about your background and your path with languages. Sure. And so I have a PhD in writing studies with a secondary, secondary area in ESL writing. And um, I've spent my career focused on working with students who are multilingual. Um, I have studied many languages, but I'm not proficient in any other than my first language, which is English. Um, the languages I've studied, in case you're interested, are yeah. French, Spanish, Latin, Classical Greek, Sanskrit, German, and Anglo-Saxon. But please, Angelica, don't try to speak to me in German. Please. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's okay. embarrassing for me. <laughs> I only took uh, about a year and a half. Um, this is my eighth year at Cornell. Um, I was hired to start the English Language Support Office, and I've also worked at Bridgewater State University in Massachusetts, where I was Associate Professor of English, and there I launched and directed um, a writing across curriculum program. And I also worked at Dartmouth College, um, where I was the multilingual specialist, and I was hired to start programming for graduate writers and to teach international students in the undergraduate writing program. And my scholarship generally focuses on multilingual writing, on graduate-level writing, and program administration. Wow. So ELSA's mission is to offer writing and speaking support to multilingual, domestic, and international graduate and professional students. This support meets the needs of students in diverse programs across campus uh, from diverse linguistic backgrounds and at diverse points in their educational careers. So tell us how your office has evolved over the last three years. What programmatic offerings do you have, and, and were there any new programs that were launched? Yeah, well, we've been busy. First, I'm just going to give you kind of a reminder of what we generally do, and then I'll start talking about the new stuff. Um, what we generally do is offer courses, um, workshops, and a peer tutoring program and a conversational English program for um, multilingual domestic and international students. And the courses are credit-bearing. They're half-semester courses on writing, speaking, and things like the job search. Um, the tutoring program focuses on pronunciation, um, presentations, and writing. And, um, and the workshops are kind of a mix of topics that touch on writing, speaking, kind of, you know, uh, culture, things like this. And so we've been very busy in the past few years. This is 
kind of a quickly growing program. Um, and so um, last year we revamped our writing course curriculum. So previously we had six courses on writing and students were having trouble understanding which courses were the best fit for their needs. And so we streamlined the curriculum into four courses and we organized um, the courses by point in the writing process and genre. So if students are in the invention stage of a writing project or they're just getting started or they know they're going to have to do a writing project and they want to start learning you know, how to get started, um, they can take a course called Preparing to Write Workshop. If they're in the drafting process, um, they can take a course called Research Paper Writing Workshop or Thesis and Dissertation Writing Workshop. And if they're, they have a draft and they want to revise and edit it and refine it, they can take a course called Revising and Editing Workshop. Hmm. And another change in these courses is that they're workshop style. And what we mean by that is that students are given time in class to sit and write. And we don't assign like other writing tasks during these courses. They apply everything to their current writing projects. Um, so that's been going really well. The, student, the students have loved these courses. They've nice. Been um, also, we expanded our scope of practice. So for the first six years of the program, we were restricted to working with students who were here on a visa. Um, but we had a lot of calls from domestic multilingual students to take our courses. Hmm. And so we were able to officially expand our scope. We were just approved to do this um, last year nice. to include um, multilingual domestic students. Um, and that's been really fantastic. Um, let's see. So another really big change, this is really recent, is for the first seven and a half years of our program, we were restricted to working with matriculated students and students at the graduate level. And um, at the end of last semester, we were approved to provide support to a group of non-matriculated undergraduate um, students, um, hmm. a group of um, displaced Afghan women. And so we provided an English immersion program for these students over winter break. And then we were approved just two weeks ago to offer another program to this particular group of students over spring uh, semester. Oh, wow. So we're doing that. And that, that has been really, really exciting. Um, this is, you know, a group of students kind of close to my heart. Um, so I'm hoping that this opens the door so that we can start working with more non-matriculated students and you know, visiting students, exchange students, um, groups like this. Um, two years ago, we were approved to launch an advisory board for our program. This is something that had been part of the original vision for the program when my pro program was proposed before I got here. Um, and finally, we got it. Nice. <laughs> so, um, this is a group of 25 faculty, administrators, and students from across Cornell's 11 colleges and units. And the board's been really a great source of information about, you know, students across the university and other things. And um, they've been sharing information about our program because they get an in-depth look in our program. Um, so that, and they've been helping move forward certain projects. And one of these projects is um, to try to get donors for our program. Um, so this was actually a big project because I had to become a separate funding entity. We were underneath the Knight Institute as as part of their mm -hmm. entity, but we actually have a different funding source than the rest of the programs in the Knight Institute for Writing and the Disciplines. Hmm. So we got that off the ground, and we were able to have a tile on Giving Day last year, and we actually got a donation, just one. It's a good start, you know. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, another thing I've been working on for a long time that finally came to fruition last year is that we've launched our first ever student organi organization that's affiliated with our program. So they are called Friends of ELSO or FELSO. And they're providing social events for students and also just getting the word out about our program a little bit more. It helps increase our visibility. Um, and, and, you know, so, and that as a student organization, they have funding. So social events have been outside of our mission and scope. So we're really grateful that these students are stepping up and taking the lead in this. Um, so that's been really great. Um, another thing that happened last year, <laughs> this is a really great thing. And I know why you're laughing, because it looks like we're already doing a lot of work. But yeah, no kidding. Finally got our own dedicated administrative assistant. Ooh. Wow, nice. Oh, that is huge. Wow. So before this, um, different administrators from the Knight Institute and sometimes from the graduate school would, out of the kindness of their hearts, do things for Elsa. Um, now we have our own administrative assistant, um, Amanda Munson. Um, and she's really been a huge help, you know, because we were, the faculty were doing everything for all the programs, um, managing the website, managing the listserv, you know, answering a million questions from students, setting out all of our events up. So now we have support for this. And two more things. Um, over the past two years, um, Elso took part in three different grant projects to work on improving campus climate for mm -hmm. multilingual and international students. Mm. Two were for the, from the Central New York Humanities, uh, Humanities Corridor, and they allowed us to bring outside speakers to campus and talk about multilingual pedagogy, anti-racism, and race linguistics. And then also is also part of a grant with the um, Office for the Vice Provost for International Affairs, the OVPIA, and we received a paid grant, um, $10,000, to work on improving campus climate for international students on campus at both the undergraduate level and the graduate level. And so we've been using a methodology called Story Circles, which comes from UNESCO, which brings together diverse students and kind of facilitates conversation about those differences and creates really meaningful connections between people. So that's been great. Um, so we've gotten that off the ground, and we've been holding Story Circles in undergraduate residence halls, and we just did one for the um, the spring orientation for international students. Nice. And then, last one, <laughs> um, our program's been so busy, and there's long wait lists for our courses. There's actually more students on the wait list than there are seats in our courses. Mm -hmm. um, and also for our tutoring programs, huge wait list. And so we've been asked by the deans to write two different proposals to expand the size and scope. One to expand the size, one to expand the scope of our program. So that's really exciting. Um, that means that Cornell is really behind international multilingual students and wants to serve them better. Mm -hmm. So that's it. <laughs> that's it, she that's says. It. A, few, <laughs> a few little updates. Yeah, yeah wow. It's Man, I mean, this is this is amazing, Michelle. I, this it's it's wonderful that you know you are moving and shaking and providing so many important services for so many different groups of students. Can you talk a little bit about why it is so important to provide support, especially for multilingual students on a university campus? Yeah, absolutely. And so these are students who often fall through the cracks, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of support for 
diverse students who are U.S. residents. There's, you know, offices set up on inclusion and diversity and lots of support for them. Um, there's also lots of support for writing at the undergraduate level at most universities. So you, most universities have, you know, writing course requirements like a first year, um, first year composition or yeah. a first year experience kind of course. There's often a writing center, as there is at Cornell, that focuses on undergraduate students. And sometimes they also extend the reach to graduate students, but they often still use the same practices that they've developed for undergraduate Mm. students. And they often do give some training to their tutors to work with multilingual students. But, you know, it's like maybe one session out of 10, you know, that students get on learning to be a writing center consultant. Um... And then there's often a right across the curriculum program where faculty are given professional development to um, to be better mentors of writing in their fields. Um, and there's often like curricular requirements at the undergraduate level. Um, but at the graduate level, you know, students really rely on their advisors. Um, they rely on their cohort, you know, like other peers. But there isn't usually the same kind of systematic support of writing. Um, and so all graduate writers face challenges in writing. There's a big leap between undergraduate writing and graduate writing. Mm, oh, yeah. The length of the projects, the complexity of the projects, how independent you're expected to be while writing, um, the ways you're supposed to contribute to the field through your writing, not just taking the knowledge of the field. And it's all high pressure, high stakes, you know. And there's also, like, all the job search materials, um, grants. You know, a lot of students are applying for grants. And to me... You know, it appears that the pressure on graduate students to publish and publish in, like, mm-hmm. high-impact journals just keeps going up um, because the competitiveness for academic positions keeps going up, and the yeah. past few years have been particularly rough. So all graduate students need the support. Um, but multilingual graduate students, I do think, you know, really benefit from additional support because they face the additional hurdles of writing in an additional language mm-hmm. and um, reading. You know, there's so much reading at the graduate level, reading in an additional language, um, and then facing and trying to negotiate an educational culture that may be pretty different from from what they're accustomed to. I mean, we do have a fair amount of, fair number of international graduate students who went to U.S. universities for undergraduate or master's, but we still have a fair number who didn't. This is their first kind of exposure, you know, to the U.S. educational culture, and it really is a big shift for them. Um, And then over the past three years, what I've been noticing is increased stress. Um, This international students, you know, were hammered, Mm -hmm. I'll say, during the Trump presidency. There were all of these threats to visas, Um, so they... You know, um, the OVPAA and the Office for Global Learning arranged um, sessions where they could talk with immigration lawyers during Trump's presidency. Mm-hmm. These were offered. And what the lawyer said is, don't leave the United States. You know, even if your visa is expiring, don't leave. There's, you know, we don't know if you're going to be able to come yeah. back. Yeah. Um, and so the students were getting scared and increasingly um, homesick. Hmm. And then and xenophobia has always been a problem in the United States, but Trump's rhetoric certainly, you know, added to it. Hmm. You know, it made it so that people were no longer embarrassed to show their xenophobia, hmm. right? It became part of the national rhetoric. And nationalism increased 
And then the COVID pandemic hit. And oh, these people were already homesick. <laughs> and now they, they couldn't leave because of all the complications of quarantines and borders closing and increased chance of illness and exposing, you know, family and loved ones to the virus. Um, so they became even more homesick. And then on top of that, they had all the other challenges everybody has faced with the pandemic. Um, isolation, um, many graduate students, their research was interrupted because they couldn't get into the lab um, or not more than one person could be at the lab at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll, many of them changed their direction for research to find something that was doable during a pandemic. Um, it, it really put a lot of students back um, in, their, in their graduate programs. And also they were, I'm, I'm sure faculty were doing their, their best, but many were overwhelmed and were just kind of unavailable as sure. advisors for the graduate students. So, um, and not all graduate students feel comfortable kind of advocating for themselves and reaching out to their advisors to say what they need. And this can be a cultural issue um, for some international students. So a lot of students were just kind of flailing, you know, they were really struggling. But there is a silver lining, and the silver lining is that during the pandemic and during Trump's presidency, which overlapped, um, a lot of faculty and universities and professional organizations, academic professional organizations, became more aware of the challenges that graduate students face, that multilingual students face, and that international students face. And so I, for instance, because these are my three areas of scholarship, was asked to give different talks at Cornell by units that I didn't even think they knew my name. And all of a sudden they were contacting me and asking me to give talks on on this. Um, Professional organizations um, were, you know, also contacting me, asking me to give talks. I'm sure other people in my field. um, And I just saw increase in awareness of the Mm. plight of these students and, more resources were developed because of this. And um, so I'm hoping that this is a change that stays, that international students and multilingual students and graduate students kind of stay on the radar mm-hmm. of administration and faculty as we move forward. Amazing. So you've talked now about all the things that have been going on for the last few years. What exciting initiatives or projects are on deck for 2022? Um, I can tell you about some immediate ones. Um, we're still in the planning stage um, for all of 22, but this spring at least, um, we're holding in collaboration with your office, with the Language Resource Center, and with the Graduate School, um, some spring events. Um, Sam Sarma, who's Associate Professor of Stony Brook University, um, or at Stony Brook University in the English Department, um, we're hoping that He'll be able to come to campus, fingers crossed, at the end of April, um, to lead a public talk and a workshop. The public talk will be open to everybody, and the workshop will be open to all graduate students and postdocs. And um, we're still working on the titles of these talks, um, but he will be talking about kind of pushing against a monolingual view of academia and kind of an English-only view on publishing and also pushing back on the idea that the journal article is the only genre that is available to us. He's going to be pushing for people to write in um, languages other than English and publish in these languages. 
and to use genres that are more accessible mm-hmm. and reach um, audiences outside of academia and even inside of academia, but in other countries. Um, so this is really exciting because it's really going to highlight um, knowledge of languages outside of English as a yeah. resource, as a benefit. And too often we talk about multilingualism as almost like a deficit, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, so this is, a, a, I think, a wonderful set of events that's coming up. Yep, We are very excited about that visit for sure. So what are some ways for faculty, staff, or community members here in the immediate um, Ithaca area to get involved with ELSO and the students that you serve? Are there ways? Oh, definitely. Well, first I want to talk about just ways to get involved that don't involve ELSO because we have multilingual domestic and international students across the entire university in every college, in every department, every field. Mm -hmm. Um, So... What I'm really hoping is that people just have an increased awareness of these students and work to create a sense of belonging for these students wherever they are on campus. Um, These students are an integral part of our campus community. Uh, They're not a group at the margins, but they're really at the center of Cornell. Um, Cornell prides itself in having a diverse student body and having international reach. And I think it's time to stop thinking about Cornell as monolingual and monocultural. Mm -hmm. And to really embrace our linguistic, cultural, and national diversity. Any person, any study, in any language. Yep, from any place. Yep. I love that addition, in any language. I'm going to write that down. (laughs) That's a good one. Um, And then to get involved with ELSA, we do have a volunteer opportunity. Um, We have a speaking groups program, which is our conversational English program. And um, the, the speaking groups are small groups that meet for an hour um, every week. Um, we are always looking for new volunteers, and we tend to look for new volunteers at the beginning of each semester, at the beginning of fall and the beginning of spring. And you can find information about this on our website. And so our website is night, K-N-I-G-H-T dot A-S dot Cornell dot E-D-U forward slash ELSO, E-L-S-O. Fantastic. All right. Well, before we sign off, we'd like to ask you to share a word in a language you speak, love, are learning, want to learn that makes you giggle. Let's hear it. A word that makes me giggle is a word from English, and it's nuthead. <laughs> and it's, yeah. Now I'm giggling, too. <laughs> So this is a word that my grandfather affectionately used when he was teasing us. He'd say, you nuthead. And he, I heard it many times. I was called a nuthead many times. And my son was called a nuthead many times when he was little. And he always found it hilarious. <laughs> I like that. That is very sweet. Thank well, thank you so much for speaking of language with us today, Michelle. Well, thank you for having me. Next week, we'll speak with Christina Rocha. Christina is a language educator at the American Community Schools in Athens, Greece. She gave a talk as part of our monthly LRC speaker series on inquiry-based language learning. You can watch her full talk on our YouTube channel, and of course, you can listen to next week's episode online. Until then... Auf Wiedersehen! The Language Resource Center is located on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. Check us out on the web at lrc.cornell.edu 
or follow Cornell LRC on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Speaking of Language is produced by Angelica Kramer and Sam Lupowitz. Recorded by Sam Lupowitz. Original music by Sam Lupowitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson. Thanks also to the College of Arts and Sciences at Cornell University. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Sciences or any other official entity of Cornell University. We thank our listeners and do stay tuned for our next episode.